This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 21. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father, who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon. Great to see you. Thank you, Ash. Thank you, Craig. My name's Rowan. I'm the assistant minister here at Garrison Church. Have met you. Uh, warm welcome. Welcome to those following on live stream as well. Uh, great to have you with us. Let us know uh, you're here if you're able to on live stream. Now you can do that through uh, the website as well. It's just helpful for us to know you're there and so that we can be caring for one another. Uh, as we begin tonight, we're looking at Matthew 6, which was just read for us. Uh, we're continuing our series after taking a few weeks off to look at uh, the basics of the Christian faith with, with John Dixon, which was an encouraging time. We're coming back into the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is uh, probably Jesus' famous, most famous body of teaching. And in the passage today is probably the most famous prayer uh, that he has left us to pray, which we will be doing later. Uh, but in today's passage, we'll be looking at uh, three kind of worked examples uh, of what it means to uh, be living and being and seeing the world the way Christ calls us to. And we'll see that a theme that comes up is the theme of, of audience, of who we're living for. Um, there was an episode in a series, a British science fiction series called Black Mirror. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this, this famous uh, episode which is inspiring our cover of our zines today that Kylie's done for us as well called Nosedive. And in the episode, it's set in a world where people can rate one another from one star to five depending on the different interactions that they have with that person in their life and people become obsessed with other people's acceptance and assurance obsessed with the image of some, themselves that they, they want to portray and project to the world and everyone is terrified of being marked down and the consequences that would follow and the episode catalogues the lead character's journey. The name of the episode Nosedive may give you some insight into its trajectory. Uh, but what is, as you watch it, it's, it's, it's kind of harrowing because it's kind of unreal, but then in another sense you're kind of going, actually it's, it's pretty relatable um, as you watch it and, and terrifying <laughs> in one respect. Uh, but it highlights that we, we are so prone to do things uh, to seek the validation of people to seek acceptance and assurance from one another others approval of us becomes this this reward a drug even that we long to have one writer Oz Guinness writes this most of us whether we are aware of it or not do things with an eye to the approval of some audience or other the question is not whether we have an audience but what audience we have the question is not whether we have an audience, but what audience 
we have. And so as we begin our time, it'd be helpful just to, to kind of just think, who's, whose opinion matters to you? Whose opinion matters to you? Who, who do you want recognition from? Because the reality is it's part of being human. We all long for that. But in today's message, what we are offered is uh, a liberating antidote to fear, fear of others that might paralyze us in seeking other people's approval by looking to our Heavenly Father, whose approval we have. Jesus gives us this principle that's then worked out in three examples. The principle's there in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This is the principle that Jesus speaks into and illustrates for us, and it's a liberating principle should we take him at his word. Just give a bit of context as we, as we head into it and work through those examples, though. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and in the sermon, Jesus is offering a different way to be and, and to see the world, the way of the kingdom, the way under his rule. In chapter 5, in the sermon, he's taught us what it means to be blessed, what the good life looks like. I don't know if you remember, but the picture that was presented to us was, was the complete opposite of what we would imagine the good life to look like, the flourishing life, the whole life. And Jesus sums up what he calls for his people in verse 48 of chapter 5. He says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the sense of the word perfect there is not moral perfection so much as wholeness. So he's saying, be whole, therefore, as your heavenly Father is whole. How do we live this blessed whole life? Well, we seek to be and see the world as Jesus presents to us in this sermon. And he goes on in chapter 5 to talk about uh, disciples following him are to have a righteousness that surpasses the religious leaders of the day. A greater righteousness is about having an aligned life, our inner lives and our behaviour being aligned, whole lives before God, because God sees and cares. And that's the theme that we're going to pick up on today. In chapter 5, he gives six examples of what that greater righteousness looks like, the lining up of our inner life and our outer life. And then today, as he focuses on our personal piety, looking at generosity, praying and fasting. Again, he's concerned for his disciples to have aligned lives, their inner lives and their behaviour in line with one another. It's the opposite of being a hypocrite for Jesus. And so as we read this, uh, these worked examples, Jesus is going to assume that we do certain things. Here it's almsgiving, generosity, praying and fasting. But these are, are worked examples to open the door to a million other possibilities as we think through and apply it. The principle is given with these examples, but there's going to be many ways in which we're going to apply and think through this. And the key is not that we don't do things, these things that we see, but we do them differently, reflecting a particular heart stance. And so as we move through just keep that in mind. Let's, let's move through uh, these three worked examples. Jesus gives three examples. And imagine 
They're like a, a hammer being nailed into a piece of wood. They're, they're functionally saying the same thing, but with three blows, Jesus is, through his use of language and illustrations, hammering the point home. And they all follow the same pattern. He begins with a negative example and then a positive example. So you'll see in each one, he says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, don't be like, but be like. That's the pattern that we'll follow. And he parallels them together, all in a point to really hammer the point home to us. But let's begin with uh, generosity in verses 2 to 4. Verse 2 says, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street, to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you give to the needy, don't so much announce it with, trump with trumpets, because you will receive your reward in full. Now, as we read this, Jesus is using extreme language. I'm not sure that there was actual trumpets being heralded as uh, someone gave, but we do have the expression, don't blow your own trumpet. So there's a sense in which the action was wanting to be seen by others, to parade their, their virtue, to draw attention to it. And it's interesting because this kind of topic, particularly as it relates to social justice, is is a live one for us because we live in strange times where our platforms are very public. So giving to the needy could broadly fit into this category of social justice and, and not only are we su summoned all manner of social action, rightfully in our world, but we're pressured to, to share it or to, to signal it. There is much pressure to announce what it is that we are doing. And so this is in stark contrast to what Jesus is saying. See, some of us feel that we must say something about everything because otherwise we're not be communicating what we are for, but we also might feel the pressure from those of being called out or shamed if, if we don't announce what it is that we're supporting. It's strange times, kind of fraught times in many ways, because the stakes are very high and the platforms are very public. But Jesus tells us not to do things in order to be seen, to be honoured by others, whether for their approval or for their disapproval. See, acceptance and approval is, is, is an appropriate thing to desire, but to be honest, it can be a powerful thing to want. It's become addictive, like a dopamine hit. But Jesus says that we're not to do things like giving to the needy in order to draw attention to ourselves. Jesus says they have received their reward in full. See, Jesus knows that deep down that human applause is very powerful. But he also knows, as we do deep down, that it's also very fleeting and has a very short shelf life. Jesus says if we behave like that, if we just do things in order to be seen, we're like the hypocrites. Those that's inner life and their, their outer behaviour aren't aligned. Ultimately, we'll be failing to live whole lives. So how do we, how do we live these whole lives? How do we 
do this greater righteousness that Jesus calls us to? Is there a, a wise way to navigate this space? Well, Jesus offers us wisdom. See, we might do the same things, but we do them differently from a different heart stance. Look at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's contrasting this negative picture with, with a positive one. And it's, it's kind of comical in a similar way. You, you know, don't let your, your left hand know what your right hand is, is doing. The point is, don't be motivated by being seen by others, but rather practice the principle of secrecy. Why? Because your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's not wrong to want acceptance and approval, but we're to seek it in the right place from our Heavenly Father who sees what is done in secret. See, Jesus here is unashamed to motivate his disciples with, with a reward, the longing of acceptance of approval, but from the right audience. Jesus here offers us a better way. And if, if we're just struggling with this, with this language of, of reward, it's, it's interesting because throughout this section, Jesus refers to the Heavenly Father some 16 times. See, children constantly and delightfully want your audience and approval. You know, not a day goes by where it's not like, Dad, 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 watch this, watch me do this, Dad, Dad. You know, and it's not like you sit there and go, you vain little thing you know, wanting my audience for this, but rather there's a sense in which a child longs for the approval of their father. And in the right way, Jesus motivates us with the right audience, the father, who will reward us. So we're to do things not before others, but before your father who sees what's done in secret and will reward us. So the underlying principle here is to, to seek an audience of one, The motivation is a reward from our Heavenly Father. And the way we practice it is to practice secrecy. Do it, but don't draw attention to it. There's many ways we could think about how that applies to the context of generosity. But Jesus moves on. Remember, second blow of the hammer to prayer in verses 5 and 6. In this section, uh, we, we find the Lord's Prayer, which is one of the most famous and high points in the New Testament of Jesus' teaching. Um, it itself warrants far more attention than we'll give it today. Um, but a valuable exercise would be to move through it slowly. However, Jesus uses this section again to illustrate this principle from verse 1. And he follows the same pattern as the last example. In verse 5 he says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Again, the assumption is that we will pray, but we are to pray differently. Just as you don't announce your giving with trumpets, don't pray in such a way just to draw attention to yourself from others. So this is less a legalistic command, but a, a principle or a guideline Nowhere in the New Testament does it speak about it being wrong to pray with others. In fact, you see that the early church thrived on, 
public prayer, as it were. So it's not, it's not wrong to pray with others, or even before others, but it's wrong to be seen, just to do it to be seen by others. Well, how could this be done? Well, we look in verse 7, it says it might be through uh, verbose verse to impress, babbling words, verse 7, or it might be to pray for certain things or omit others, to, to appease others rather than to appeal to God. Or perhaps we, we might not pray because we were worried about what others might think of us and not what God thinks of us. So how do we navigate this space? Again, Jesus offers us wisdom to do things differently from a different heart stance. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying, resist the temptation to, to use prayer as a way to draw attention to yourself. Rather, we're to use prayer to approach the throne of our Heavenly Father. See, when we pray just to be seen by others, prayer can become complicated, manipulative, or even performative. But actually, when we take Jesus' words, it's, it's liberating. We pray to our Father. That means that when we pray, God is already disposed to us as a father is to a child. It doesn't need to be complicated. And he even gives us a script here in the Lord's Prayer, which beautifully and simply structures our prayers and our hearts before our Father. Wes Hill, in a lovely little book on the Lord's Prayer, writes this. Jesus seems to say, go find a quiet place where you can relax, unclench your fists, breathe deeply, let your heart rate decrease, know that you're already bathed in the Father's love, and ask simply for what you need in the assurance that the one to whom you're speaking is already cupping his ear in your direction. They're wonderfully freeing words. Prayer, when we seek to do it to be seen by others, is complicated, it's manipulative, it's performative, but yet Jesus gives us a different way to pray. We pray, Our Father, and we can come before him because he knows our needs and desires and he looks upon us with care. Jesus' teaching here is to make sure that whether we pray privately or corporately, we're praying to our Heavenly Father who sees and hears us and not to others. But the underlying principle is to again seek an audience of one, pray to your Heavenly Father. The motivation is to seek his ear, knowing that you already have his love. And the practice, to practice his prayer in secret, is the Lord's Prayer. And the final blow with, with the nail is, is fasting in verses 16 to 18. And what might be most striking here is that Jesus says, when you fast... Fasting has, has traditionally been used to, to temper our appetites. It, it trains us not to live for our appetites, be they physical or material, but through abstaining from things, we learn self-control. We create a, a larger appetite or hunger for God. The Puritans used to call fasting uh, soul-fattening. I quite like that. 
But what's interesting is, as you read the New Testament, there's no command for us to fast. In the Old Testament, there was only one time per year when God's people would fast. That was the Day of Atonement. And in Colossians 2, we're told that that has been fulfilled in Christ's death. So there's no longer any command for us to do this. So this is being used as another example to think through our personal piety and how we do things to follow the principle that Jesus is calling us to. And so Jesus teases out the principle from verse 1 and verse 16 for us. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show others they are fasting. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders, fasting was, was a kind of spiritual kudos. Uh, it demonstrated that you took God seriously and the concerns of other people. And so one might want to draw attention to it. I've got these images in high school of, of those that completed the 40-hour famine with kind of exaggerated responses. See, by, by looking like they were fasting, they had actually lost sight of what the fasting was, was for. They were fasting to feast on the praise of others. They were going hungry because they wanted the praise of man. And Jesus says they have received their reward in full. In full, God got their fill, as it were. Jonathan Pennington writes, The human heart is such that even in self-denial there is the possible corruption of motives to performing this act for the purpose of receiving praise from others. But again, Jesus into this space offers us wisdom, a way to do things but differently from a different heart stance. Look at verse 17. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, rather than making this, this spiritual practice obvious by disfiguring your face or looking hungry, he says, look after yourself. Don't draw attention to it so others see it. Because the unseen one, the one who counts, sees it. He sees what he's done in secret and will reward you. It's the audience of one. It's not that now one can ever know, not know that we are giving or praying or, or in this case, fasting. The issue is not others' knowledge of it, but rather the motive of the heart behind it. God cares about our hearts behind our actions and reward us when we do good, that is, with a heart directed toward him. So the underlying principle is seek an audience of, of one. Our motivation is that our unseen Father sees everything and we practice secrecy. We don't do things to draw attention to it, but to please our Heavenly Father. Well, the title of the talk is, is titled The Antidote to the Fear of Approval. So if we just try tie these threads together, uh, what can we take for it? How is it the antidote to fear of approval? Well, as we began, we're so prone to do things before others to seek their approval and their assurance. The search for it can dominate our, our whole lives. I think that's true, true of all of us. Others' opinions 
matter. We want recognition. But the reality is that can be exhausting. It can be dissatisfying and, and ultimately it's, it's fleeting because it has a ridiculously short shelf life, the praise of others. Instead, this text today says that as disciples we must dare to live for God's reward alone. We must do things, but do them differently from a different heart stance. On Friday, uh, we watched a film called A Hidden Life by Terence Malick. Uh, the film depicts the life of an Austrian farmer and devout Catholic who refused to swear an allegiance oath to Adolf Hitler and fight for the Nazis in World War II. And as you watch the film, you observe the different pressures that he faces from his town, from, from his church, the bishops, and even from his family to swear an oath of allegiance. But what is striking is it's his resolve to live before the audience of one or to live what they've titled The Hidden Life. The title of the film is taken from George Eliot's book, Middlemarch. And as the, as the film ends, and it's a long film, so if you do go watch it, just be warned, three hours. <laughs> but it ends, as the screen goes black, with this quote. It says, For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been, is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. The growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts by those who have lived a hidden life and have unvisited tombs. In a powerful way, this film shows the beauty of this way. It's the practice of secrecy that Jesus shows us. It's living before God alone, the unseen who sees and rewards and not before the eyes of others. And Jesus calls us, in a sense, to this hidden way, a way to do things but to do them differently, the way of faithfulness before our Father who is unseen, to live before an audience of one, for he sees what is done in secret and will reward you. Well, how is this possible? Well, in, in reality, our, our motives uh, are never completely pure. But that should not stop us from doing what is, is right. It's often in the doing of what is right when our hearts catch up to our, into our actions. So perhaps this week you could look for opportunities to do things in the hidden way. Conscious that the unseen Father sees, trusting that he will supply you with all you need. But finally, all this is possible principally because Jesus has modelled it for us and made it possible for us. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus set before him his father's plan 
to save humanity from its plight. And it was his joy, his reward to, to please his Father. And so Jesus endured the rejection of man. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, dying for sin and rising to new life in order to be the perfecter of our faith, the one to make us right before God. See, in Christ there is acceptance, assurance and forgiveness. In Christ we are grafted into God's family. We are adopted to be able to call God our Father. We can bask in his love and acceptance and approval of us. We can live now by the Spirit before an audience of one. Jesus closes this section and we'll touch on this theme next week when Craig brings us the next part of the sermon with these words. And in doing so, he offers us a better way of being and seeing the world. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven or the reward of your Father in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because God sees and cares about the inner person, our hearts, not just our external behaviour, he wants his followers to be whole, wants us to be aligned, both inner and outer, for the reward of the Father, a treasure that cannot be taken, can never fade or be destroyed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. And we pray that we might be those that by your spirit who so delight in the approval and acceptance of you in Christ that we would truly, by your spirit, seek to live before you and before you alone. And so we pray that as we think about how this applies to the various areas of our life, particularly those, those areas in which we seek to live before you with generosity, come before you in prayer and express our devotion toward you in many ways. We pray that we might do so not to be seen by others, but we would see the fleeting nature of that, but rather do so by your spirit in a way that is pleasing to you, that we would live whole and flourishing lives. In Jesus' name, amen.